Welcome to 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that tackles freelance issues one problem at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Carlisle, and I've been freelance for about five years, running my own Squarespace web design business, The Wheel Exists. Hi, my name's Michelle Pratt. I'm your other host uh, of Dive Deeper Development, my coaching and training business. So on today's episode, we are going to be talking about bad clients. clients. And then it would be good if we had like a sound effect that was like, ee, ee, ee. I know, I was a little point. bit, I was like, Christmas girl, I was like, what happens when clients go bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like some of the 50s B movie. <laughs> so Casey, I was going to ask you then, when we say bad clients, what are you referring to there? So, I mean, one of the questions that we're going to be asking is actually, is there such a thing as bad clients? But I think within the freelance world, it's really common to see people going, oh, I've just got a nightmare client. It's so terrible. And bad clients take on many forms, I would say. So there are clients who are bad because they're difficult to work with. They are clients that are bad because they don't pay on time. There are clients that are bad because they're never quite satisfied. There's a number of problems around working with clients. And, you know, when you go freelance, one of the things you tell yourself is, I'm not going to have a boss anymore. But what you're doing if you're having clients is you're placing one boss with lots of bosses. And they all want different things and they've all got different ways of working. And so we're going to talk about, in this episode, how you can deal with problem clients if you've already got one. And also how to avoid having these problem clients in the future. Um, And then talking about, yeah, whether actually is there such a thing as bad clients or is it more just that it's not the right fit for you or is it somebody that we did do we make them go bad actually (laughs) influenced the situation somewhat this is true and it's probably worth saying as well there are many issues that freelancers have with clients so in other podcasts we'll go really specific into types of bad clients like the disappearing client the one that doesn't pay on time we'll look at those individually but today let's look at the concept of just generally speaking bad clients bad clients so let's look first if if you've already got a client relationship that isn't working for whatever reason if you've already got a bad client what can we do about it yeah it's an interesting one i see this on freelance groups as well and a lots of people say they've got um a bad client or some people seem to have a string of bad clients oh my clients are a pain in the in the backside which given that they're paying your bills and and that they're buying your services it seems like an odd mindset to me um so occasionally i'm gonna throw that back to you is there such a thing as a bad client maybe start there well i think one of the things that that could be helpful is if if rather than saying oh you know i've got a i've got a client i've got a problem client if you actually rephrase it as i've got client problems and start seeing it as what it is some of the time. Now, everything that we talk about today is going to be assuming that, you know, there are some client relationships that can be salvaged and can be turned around. Sometimes there are just bad clients and we know that. We, we you know, there are people that will just say one thing and seem like a dream client and then when it comes to it, they'll just, you know, just it just won't work out or they'll go back on what they said or they won't pay even though they've kind of seemed you know any of every other way to be a really good client they can sometimes just not pay at the end so there are bad clients just like in the world there are bad people or people who are less nice to be around but i think a lot of the times when we find ourselves going oh i've just got this terrible terrible situation you know terrible client it's like actually i've just got a problem 
I've got a problem with a client. I've not, the client isn't necessarily the problem. There just is a problem and the client is part of that problem. So I think rephrasing it is one of the first steps to do how you're seeing it. Yeah, I think definitely. I think there is a, I think the first instance, if you think, oh, this client's a problem or they're a bad client or they're a pain in the bum, I think that labeling issue is a problem because the minute you get into labeling someone as a problem client or a difficult person or a difficult client, you've slapped a label on them. And the problem with the label is, then that becomes about the person. Whereas chances are the issue is more about a behavior or it's more about a situation. Or a working relationship or a dynamic. Or a communication issue as well. And I think you think you're right. You feel very differently and approach it very differently when you think, okay, how can we address the behavior or how can we bridge the communication gap? And that mindset uh, or that language issue, I do think it's subtle, but I do think it shifts things slightly. Yeah, and like you were saying, Michelle, when you put a label on something, it's really easy to then reinforce that label. Yeah. So as soon as you see somebody as a problem, all their behaviours after that point, it's really easy to interpret them as problem behaviours. Whereas if you hadn't labelled them, actually you might not pick up on that thing as much. It's that thing, you know, um, you'll, you'll know the technical term for it, Michelle, but when, when you buy a red car, all, all of a sudden you see red cars everywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call it cognitive bias. That sounds like a term. It is, is that, yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, there is, there is part of that. There's also, it's a part of your brain called your reticular activator. And so once you prime your brain to look for that thing, yes, it confirmation bias, you'll... Confirmation you'll, bias, that's what I'm... Not cognitive, confirmation bias. bias you, will, you will confirm yeah. your own worst thoughts. So yes, you're quite right. Uh, and, and this is true with people who we like or we get on well with when things go bad we tend to write it off as bad luck or having a bad day and when they do things that are good we write it off as good luck or out of the ordinary the, the reverse is true there's someone that you don't like then you put all their successes down to um, uh, you know luck and then you put all the, all of their uh, the other way around basically all their flaws down to a behaviour or character flaw as opposed to someone who's struggling so we're more generous to people when we like them and generous people will be don't exactly so you know with clients depending on how your relationship is with them before it go it gets tricky that can help to determine what what the best option is in some cases because actually if you've had a reasonably good working relationship and you're just having one issue that's probably going to be easier to resolve than if it's actually got to quite a tricky point and there's just a lot of kind of acrimonious feeling going on but if we have a think about some practical things that people can do if they've got problem clients, I would say one of the most kind of easy to do and important ones is to actually put yourself in the client's shoes and do think about this perspective from their point of view. Because actually, we get the more knowledge we get and the more skills we get as freelancers, if, especially if you've been doing the job for a while, you can forget what clients don't know or you can forget what the experience is like when you aren't embedded in the knowledge that we are kind of what that we have as freelancers ourselves so especially if you're dealing with something if, if you're somebody that's quite technical or if you're dealing with anything to do with technical or design stuff it's very easy to forget that the client doesn't have those skills that's actually why they're paying you generally because the client doesn't have those skills but what's easy to you as a freelancer is probably a massive mystery to the client. And so actually helping to demystify some of that process can help to solve some of the problems because a lot of the time it a lot of the a lot of the problems come from misunderstandings. So I think putting yourself in the client's shoes and trying to think okay, why might they be struggling with this? Why might they behaving why, why might they be behaving in this way? Now 
sometimes you might be able to think, okay, well, they're, 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 even though, even if they were feeling like this, that behavior isn't quite justified. But just by thinking about what's motivating them, you can then actually kind of reach out to them and help deal with that. So I've had a couple of instances of that where um, I had a client who um, wasn't actually, and we're gonna talk about getting a client that's a good fit. Um, so I kind of inherited a client. And so it, it's not somebody I would necessarily have chosen to work with had I known when I was starting the project that that would be my main contact. But the main person I was working with left and I was sort of ended up working directly with this other person. And we struggled to get something that she was happy with in terms of a design and everything for the site. And, and normally I'm fairly good. If, if you someone gives me a brief, I can, I can generally get something that they're happy with within a couple of drafts. We just kept going and kept going and kept going and we just couldn't get anything and she kept changing her mind and and so then I'd do one thing and then she'd go, oh, actually, no, can we do this instead? And I generally don't limit revisions because I don't have too much of a problem with it. But this time I was thinking, I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to say at some point, I can't do any more or, if, you know, I'm going to have to charge a lot more if we're going to keep going. But then I did stop and think, okay, how is my client feeling? and trying to think about it from that perspective. And I was thinking, okay, well, she's probably really frustrated because she feels like she's kind of, you know, been putting forward all these suggestions, but it still doesn't look how she wants it to look. She's probably feeling a bit insecure because she doesn't really know what design things she should ask for. She doesn't know the words to use. She doesn't know how to phrase it. She probably doesn't know exactly what she wants. She kind of knows what she doesn't want, but until she sees what she wants, she doesn't know it. And you know, she's looking to me as the expert. She's probably a bit embarrassed about the fact that she has changed her mind because she's, you know, been seeing, maybe she's seen another site and gone, oh, actually that's more what I want. And she's probably a bit worried about the fact that she wanted the site to be live and it's been dragging on. So when you start thinking about it from that perspective, it can help you go, okay, well, it's not that, you know, the reason that she's being a bit funny with you isn't because she necessarily hates you as a person or because she's terrible. It's more that she's got her own stuff going on. She's worrying, she's got all her other business pressures. She's worrying about getting this site live. She's concerned she it's never going to get there. She sounds like she's inherited the role of she's, she's, buying the website. Exactly. And if you're spending company money as well, it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And you're a bit nervous of buying the right thing. Exactly. So she wants something that, that that's right. She wants it to look a particular way, but she's struggling to articulate herself and everything. So we were just getting nowhere. So in the end, I um, got in touch with her and said, look, can we just have a quick call? And we had a chat on the phone and I said, look, I'm sure this is really hard for you because you just want it done, but it's just not, it's not kind of right. And it must be really difficult for you because you kind of thought that it would be quite a straightforward process and it's actually ended up being quite complicated and we're just not happy with it. So what I would like to do is actually take over a bit more. So I previously, I I, th I think one of the things I'd realized was she came across as very confident and very self-assured. But again, when you start thinking about it from someone else's perspective, you think she actually doesn't really know what she's doing. She probably is just like trying to kind of Front black her way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do it. And so because she's come across as really self-assured, I'd been letting her take the direction a lot more and say like, you know, an influence what the design was. I said, look, I, could we have a go? Can, could we almost start from, not from, from complete scratch again, but 
let me have another go and let's start from start from the beginning in terms of the design side of it. Let me put together something that I think you would like rather than you telling me which bits, you know, can you tweak this a bit? Can you tweak that a bit? Can you add that? Let me have a go and put together something I think you would like. And actually me taking charge like that and also sort of acknowledging the situation about the fact that it was frustrating for both of us. I said, look, it is going to take me a bit more time. And so I am going to have to charge a little bit more, but I think I'm going to get you something that's really good. If at that point you still don't like it, then we can look at options beyond then. But let's just have a go. And she's like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's try it. And then went away and did this and came back. She was like, oh my God, it looks amazing. I love it. And it was just that that stopping to, to kind of assess the situation that really helped. And if I had have just kept letting her drive, as it were, and letting her call the shots about some of the changes because she was being so kind of confident, then I think that would never have got to that point. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely key because this is what happens with people. And I think one of the quickest things you can do to... Um, to do to handle these kind of situations is to put yourself in the other person's shoes because it softens their position and this is something i've been talking to some training clients and training sessions this week actually uh and you're quite right katie putting yourself in the other person's shoes is so important because what happens is when we are in a situation where we're struggling with a client or we're having a problem communicating or perhaps we've had some feedback or getting those frustrations with the client what tends to happen is we take it very personally and a lot of emotions start to rise to the surface uh, and they say that in any sort of conversations there's really three conversations going on the first one is the facts uh, about what happened what did happen what didn't happen where when who why so this kind of surface level kind of observable data this stuff that's going on and we think that's what the conversation is about and to an extent it is there's normally a second conversation happening where which is about how you feel about it so this is where the emotions start to come in and sometimes that's explicitly referenced you know i feel frustrated or this is really annoying or i'm feeling really stuck right now but sometimes they aren't explicitly referenced but the feelings conversation is still there it's just they're leaking in through tone of voice through <laughs> uh, behaviors like drag heel dragging like arguing you know all this kind of stuff but then there's a kind of like a third level conversation, which we don't always like to admit. But when we are having these uh, situations, there's a kind of identity or a very personal level conversation happening where we start to make what's going on about us. So are they questioning my competence? Do they not trust my expertise? Do they not like me? Do they think I'm useless? So all of this stuff comes in. So we've got a lot of stuff going on in our heads and it brings a lot of emotions to the surface. But the emotions it brings to the surface are things like frustration, annoyance, anger, sadness, rejection. And the problem with that is when these emotions come to the surface, we kind of create this narrative. We could become quite closed in our mindset because it kind of triggers a little threat response. And I know, you know you're not being chased by like a tiger or anything, but um, back in the in, you know the fight or flight sense, but you go into a kind of psychological fight or fright because it, it it's kind of dented your ego a bit or dented your mood, so you start to go on the defensive. It is a perceived threat. It is a perceived threat. Socially speaking, yeah. it is. So we have a threat response, and and so we do get the stress. So we do one of two things: we either come out swinging and start arguing or blaming or moaning at the client, even if it's not to their face. 
or we take flight. I mean, we either literally don't answer calls or emails or we evade difficult subjects. or We hope that the client's going to cotton on to what we were meaning and, and, um, and we don't really tackle it head on. So what we tend to do is, is, is we get very stuck in our own heads. We only see it from our point of view. And the more stressed we are, the more narrow minded and closed we become and the more we absolutely hinge to our own narrative. And we start creating these stories. So one of the things and you could you could probably look it up is called the, it's called the ladder of infer, in, inference but it just kind of explains how we create these stories about the bad client so you start with the action so that the client has rejected my uh, latest iteration you then sort to interpret it so you go oh this is bad they're being difficult you then start to underpin it with lots of assumptions well they don't like my work they'll never be satisfied they don't know what they're on about you then start to draw conclusions they're a bad client this relationship is hour it doesn't work and then that affects your behavior so you get a little bit arsy you get a little bit short with them you start getting a bit huffy maybe you don't answer their email so quickly and of course um none of that stuff is true when you strip it right back down to the situation they've rejected my rejected my latest iteration if you then put yourself in the other person's shoes and start to have that curiosity, that mindset to inquire what is going on with them. So all those things you just said before, what are they feeling? What pressures are they under? What, why might they be behaving the way they are? Are they feeling threatened? Are they feeling insecure? Are they feeling like they're buying the wrong thing? Are they worried about the spend? Um, are they hoping, you know, is this a big thing? Are they hoping this is going to make them look good? They're responsible yeah. for the website launch. So or had they been stuff. told that it was a really simple, straightforward thing and, and it ends up becoming be. really complicated because yeah. no one had communicated to them the fact that actually they do need to put input into it when they doing you know a creative project or something had they been dumped on so it, so any of these things is kind of and it doesn't really matter if you don't know the pressures they're under the very act of just putting yourself in the other person's shoes it just softens your position you start to be more generous with your thoughts you then start to have this mindset of inquiry and curiosity so you start to ask questions so I noticed that you haven't signed off those changes is there anything I can do to help you you under any pressures is there any you know is there anything else going on that I can help you with and just that mindset just acknowledging the other person's feelings particularly in your client's case it's yeah. like probably quite relieved that you were willing to take the driving seat yeah yeah exactly. can really help and I think actually even before it becomes a problem in inverted commas it's good to start thinking about things from the client perspective throughout the whole client process. Because actually what a lot of freelancers find is everything seems to be going absolutely fine. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the client was really arsy with me. And actually it wasn't all, all of a sudden, it wasn't out of nowhere. It had been simmering along and bubbling along under the surface and the client had been biting their tongue and eventually they felt they couldn't do it anymore or they'd been kind of reluctant to say anything because they didn't want to hurt your feelings, but then they had to say something. And actually, the more you can check in with the client at the various stages and anticipate and intercept those issues, then you can stop them from becoming a big problem. You can stop them from bubbling over in the first place. So actually, yeah, taking the time to check in with the client, not just from a practical, are you happy with this output of work, but actually, is there anything that you're worried about? Yeah. Is there anything that's not clear at this time, you know, at the moment? How do you um, feel about what's, yeah. how, how things are progressing? Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to do differently? And giving them that opportunity at various stages to prevent it getting worse later on. Because sometimes we don't communicate because everything's going well or everything's yeah. going according to plan. Yeah. So you think, well, in our heads. 
well, it's nothing. whether it is for the client as well. I suppose that's the question. But even even so, if you think, well, we agreed this, I'm delivering this. Fine, there's no need to communicate. Yeah. So uh, I've learned that hard way as well. Consulting, even if you're doing, if they say do this, come back in two weeks, or come back a week later, I'll probably just send any iterations or updates at the end of each day or the end of each week. I think a weekly update can do just wonders yeah, just to for check keeping in. client relationships going well. Because the more proactive you can be and the more you can anticipate their questions, then A, that makes you seem more professional and, you know, more, I guess, easy to work with. But it saves them from that feeling of having to chase you. Because as soon as they feel like, oh, I've not heard anything, I wonder what's happening. You, know, you might say, right, yeah, okay, it's going to take... I'll, you know, I'm going to be working on this for the next three weeks and then I'll have a thing ready for you. But if they haven't heard anything, there is always that nagging doubt of, is, is, you know, is he or she actually working on it? If you can just give them a simple update to say, just so you know, I'm, I'm at this stage. Right this week, yeah. It makes them, again, reassures them so they're not just wondering, especially if they've been, if they've been burned before, if they've had somebody that's let them down before, even if you are super diligent and you always deliver, they've got that own past experience influencing them so if you can send them a weekly update or whatever time scale is appropriate it then means that they don't feel like they have to chase you because as soon as they do that again that creates a bit of a label of oh i'm the one that needs to do all the work i'm the one that needs to manage this project yeah and it comes back to understanding to put yourself in their shoes who are they reporting to what pressures are under what's going to make them look good yeah and again and, and i think it, that kind of puts us as freelancers in the position where we ask ourselves the question am i easy to buy from am i easy to work with what would a good customer journey look like you know if, if carlsberg made uh, freelancers <laughs> uh, what would what would help them who have they got to sell the idea to outside they're not technically only brief when you're building something like a website for example but yeah. if we don't pay attention to those things so i think one for another podcast we'll talk about managing the person as well as the professional definitely um, yeah. but yes so putting people putting yourself in customers shoes as well i think that and then i think one of the things that michelle we you and i have both um is, is, is a bit of a, a slight bugbear of both of us is when you've got a problem and you're like but i've tried to resolve it I sent them an email yeah. and they were really funny to me on their reply. And actually, email is so open to interpretation. You know, you can write the most neutral email in the world. If somebody has that label for you, they will put that label on your words on the email. And you don't have the subtleties like tone of voice. And, and you know, you can't kind of go, actually, just let's pause there. And, and did you understand that in the way that I was meaning it? And... And so there's so much misunderstanding that can happen by email. So if you feel like you're kind of getting nowhere with a client and you have had that email correspondence, yes, it's helpful to get things in writing, but you can always follow up a phone call with a summary email if you wanted to have something in writing. I'd always say if you can have a phone call or a Skype or even a face-to-face -face meeting with somebody, if you've got to that point where you're not resolving anything, just actually having that more human connection can make such a difference yeah and clear up so many misunderstandings it is i've got one uh, client client i work with and he sends me very short emails i i speak to him so i know it's because he's busy not because he's being short with me he literally is very pressed for time but you can yeah i mean some people like war and peace emails some people don't i think it's fine to put something on email but pick up the phone first 
speak on the phone and then you can always back up with an email for clarity for yeah. you to refer to if they're in a hurry but try and, and get scary. that first it is scary i totally get why if you've got a difficult client you want to email them and not speak to them it's it is much much scarier to pick up the phone and it's so much easier to hide behind email but if you want to actually resolve that problem especially if it's around getting paid then actually picking up the phone can make a massive difference because if nothing else it reminds them that you're human you're not just a machine no sorry yeah that, <laughs> another email in their inbox or an actual yeah, human being who needs exactly. to pay your bills absolutely exactly and i think if you know if you then if you've tried putting yourself in your shoes if if you've tried thinking about how you can fix the situation if you've tried having a sensible conversation with them sometimes it just doesn't work out and i think sometimes what do you think michelle do you think sometimes if you've got to that point do you keep going or do you need to be willing to walk away i th- i think if you've offered a service to a client then i think you've got to deliver on the service and do what you can to do the job in the short term but then i think you just take take your learnings take your lessons from that and maybe not work with them again in future or end the relationship once you've delivered whatever it is you've been paid or agreed to deliver i would suggest so yes i think i think more often than not i'd say nine times out of ten you can salvage the relationship you can work on expectations you can get, you can fix it and get it right i think most of the time that's what we should be going for one time out of ten yeah probably they're just not for you and if they're giving you more grief than they are value then yes you might want to walk away i think for me the time when i would walk away i've never had to walk away sort of mid-project i've never had to dump a client kind of mid-project or anything um but the, when I would do it is if it was if it was taking up so much of my time and energy that it was affecting my other clients, I think that's when I would be having yeah. to think very hard about is there a way of doing this. But the thing is, the other thing is, the the client is almost certainly experiencing this the problem as well as you are. It's very rarely one way. It's very rare that you're kind of going, oh my god, this is a nightmare client, and the client's like, do 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 do, everything is fine. Unless you feel they're taking advantage of you or they're being yes. unreasonable with their demands. Yeah. And which case they're probably very happy with it is because you're bending over backwards, but you're true. not. Yeah. So, but but then if you haven't had that conversation with them, then you know that they are probably thinking they can get away with it yes so again you can do something i mean again i will i will just say this point i know we're saying most clients aren't bad there is normally something we can do i think that is true and at the very least i think you have to have that mindset um if you're going to be happy in your business um but of course we do accept some people are not pleasant i have had very rare examples from people i know saying that clients have been made sexist comments or their tone has been condescending yeah i mean yeah or anything yeah inappropriate if it doesn't you know if if there's something where that fundamentally goes against everything you stand for then yes that's probably appropriate to end that relationship but again there are there are ways of doing that well and there are ways of doing that you know so rather than like sending them a kind of vicious email or anything you know to say like actually i want you know i want you to get a really good end result and I just don't know if it's something that, that I just don't think it's a good fit and you know, just just think of it like if, if you're doing a really nice breakup you know yeah <laughs> you want to stay friends stay after friends with all. your exes yeah or at least not have an acrimonious divorce exactly. yeah, yeah of course you know because the people talk and they you know I, I, I have had a client where we agreed mutually to kind of part ways because it wasn't working um, and she ended up recommending me to somebody else even though we'd done that because it wasn't it wasn't my work that, that was an issue. She just she just kind of had a very different 
approach to what I would have done. So she was like, do you know what, you weren't the right fit, but you handled it so professionally that actually I'm quite happy to recommend you in the future. So I think there's, there's, if you are going to end the relationship, there are still ways to do it well and be mature about it, even if it does mean biting your tongue a little bit. Yeah, and of course, news travels fast as well. Yeah. So you want people to say that you're professional, even if it didn't work out. And a great way to do it is that allow both people to save face, even if the person isn't very nice. So if you can um, allow them to walk away with their ego intact, and yeah. you can away with your intact. So if you even you just part on something like, look, clearly this, we're just not a good fit. We haven't worked exactly. out for each other. Yeah. What a shame, but I wish you all the best. Yeah. If you don't mean it and you're saying it for gritted teeth, I think be polite be professional yeah and, and you know bridge <laughs> yeah exactly and find somebody else I mean I've done it before where I've handed over somebody when I finish I don't tend to do much kind of uh, retainer work so sometimes it's through no no issue in the relationship but I still have to hand a client over to someone else so it's then kind of finding somebody who you think actually would be a good fit for that client and saying look I'm going to pass you over to this person and they'll you know you, you guys will be a great fit and you know because if it's someone that doesn't work for you doesn't mean they're not going to work for someone else so that's the other way you can do it is to say look you know i've not uh, it's not working but i've made it really easy for you to keep going with this project and it's, there's no extra hassle for you i'm handing it over for you that person's been briefed off you go so there's ways of ways of doing it um and so i think yeah it's 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 a tricky one but i think there are there are ways so that's kind of if you've already got a problem but ideally you would find clients that or find ways to never have these client problems surface in the first place yeah you want all the people who are good clients right off the bat don't you so why do some people then have kind of why do some people seem like they've never have any client problems and some people seem to have loads of client problems what do you think they're doing differently and how are they make how are they are they choosing their clients differently? What are they, what are they doing differently, do you think? I think, there's so, I think there's so many things. One of the things, I think they're generally quite experienced. So they probably know by now who is the, who is their client and who is not. And I think that comes down to what you offer. So I think part of it is, is the person looking for the thing that you offer? So I know that sounds obvious, but um, take coaching, my world, for example. There's many different types of coaching and training. So am I offering the type of coaching and training that people want? But I think some of it is the style am I delivering that in the way that they want it so yes could I help them yes I probably could am I a really good fit for what they want or do I do it in the style that they want it am I meeting their expectations well it's like you said before in previous episodes that sometimes there'll be people that just want the kind of quick fix solution and that's not what you're about at all no exactly and so they're probably going to get frustrated if I want to go deeper or longer into the to the issue um so then that's probably not a good client as well but I think over time you start to get an idea of what a good client looks like how they behave the questions they ask the thing the alarm when the alarm bell should start ringing when and they're kind of not in the right frame of mind to buy from you perhaps and then there's a bit of a client education piece you can do as well so people have the right expectations set i mean what about you katie you seem to have good clients all the time i do normally i love my clients um actually one thing that really helps me is most of my work comes from referrals or, or kind of recommendations from previous clients and that works really well because if they've if they're kind of friends with somebody else they've probably got similar values and therefore they kind of appreciate my values and so that works um but even if i wasn't doing that i think one of the things i've learned is that i i really have very little interest these days in 
trying to convince somebody to use Squarespace. If somebody kind of says to me, why should I use Squarespace? Come on, convince me why I should use Squarespace over WordPress or oh, I think I, I think I want to use WordPress, but like, why do you think I should use Squarespace? I'll just be like, like I, I want to work with people who are already kind of sold on the benefits of Squarespace and then they choose to work with me because I'm a Squarespace expert rather than I'm trying to convince you to work with me because I just think that that doesn't, work out very well no yeah and you know where you are as well like some there's different price points as well for someone who's looking like you say a cheap cheap solution won't want to work with an expert yeah someone who but also yes you say you know you're looking for people who are already sold on squarespace now there's lots of people out there who don't even know what it is no and if someone says yeah if someone comes to me and says i want a website what are my options and i'll give them the overview and then if they go oh yeah i really like the sound of squarespace then I'll, i'll work with them it's more the people that almost they're not over. convinced and they want me to try and convince them as part of my you know they want me to pitch to them and I'm like well no you either want to work with me and Squarespace or you don't don't yeah and so some and, people that might <laughs> feel like a very finite or a very black and white way of looking at things <laughs> but there is a merit to that isn't there yeah and I think being that selective just means that I then have the right clients for me and I think yeah it's we've talked about this before of, of you know do you take on a client that isn't a great fit because money yes which is normally <laughs> the reason um and actually one of the things that i think is sometimes you might think you're saving money in the short term but if they're not the right client you can end up spending so much time and energy on them that you could have maybe done two good clients in that same amount of time if you'd have just maybe sort of it's really hard to kind of go no I won't take money especially if you're feeling in a bit of a tight spot but sometimes by saying no to a client that's a bad fit it opens you up to clients that are a good fit and we will be talking in future episodes about how to find those clients that are a really good fit for you yeah I think a lot of it is about expectations and just meeting each other's expectations and I think the people who always seem to have good clients I think word of mouth you're absolutely right Katie because the people doing the referrals give a really good account of what it's like to work with you. So if they're describing your services and you sound like not their cup of tea, they're probably not going to talk to you. But if they really like what they hear, they're coming into it as a, kind of like a warm lead. I think there's also quite a bit about, you say people who ha- never have bad clients are probably really good now at setting good expectations uh, with what you can and can't do and are really confident as well. So I think there's a bit of contracting and getting to know the other person, which really, really helps. Um, I would also, suggest getting to know the other person not just their technical specificational needs but know the person as well so what's going on in their world and try to understand their why so for you for example I know you ask people what they want the website for what is it going to do for them once they've got it or coaching what are you going to be able to do after you've had coaching or training that you can't do now it's come back to think feel do and um, you could say it doesn't matter you could just bang out a website but you need to know the why behind the request and if you know the why behind the request you're going to be able to tell really quickly whether or not you can deliver but also as you're going about things you'll know how much education the person's going to need you're going to know um, everything you do can be tailored to that end and you can communicate everything you need to that end as well so if someone's launching a website for profile they want to look good they want something shiny so they look like really professional uh, that's very different to someone who just wants something if people are browsing for you on LinkedIn or 
we're trying to sell products for example so to know what that that gets the person i think yeah. is absolutely yeah good. you can have a website or you can have an effective website yeah, yeah and actually i want to work with people that want an effective website not just something that they kind of it's like you say kind of chucked up just yeah. for just for reference but actually it's not really going to benefit their business and i have said to people before now i don't think you're quite ready to have a website just yet because i don't think you've got the time at the moment to think about all the stuff that you know going back to what you're saying about expectations a lot of people think oh i'm paying someone to do a website for me therefore it says i don't need to do any work and that is not true if you are paying someone to make a website you're still going to have to do a lot of thinking and a lot of research and a lot of input yourself and sometimes i'll have to say to people look i don't think you're quite ready to come and do this website because it's not gonna it's gonna need more input from you than I think you've got time for at the moment. However, if you then spend the next month getting everything ready, let's schedule it in for then because by that time you can have a think about what you want the website to do and you can have a think about how, you know, who's gonna write the copy, where you're gonna get the images from, what styles do you like, you know, what do you want it to do, what's the priorities for you? Because it does take a lot of thinking to actually put together a website. And you've got, you've got to know, so I think, I think that's so true. I think the other thing I'll just, um, highlight and, and Casey's kind of hinted at this here in terms of people who already sold on the service that she offers is um, when I first became self-employed a couple of friends got me a book called The Rapid Entrepreneur and in, in that it's really good he talks about mindset he talks about um, he, he kind of describes um, your starving crowd and I think there are two things that a client needs if, to be a really good client and they need to have a real importance placed on your service. So the impact of working with you is so great, it gets them something they really want and they're desperate to have it now. Or it, the impact of not working with you is so great, it's gonna cause them a lot of pain. So the amount of importance uh, that the work is, is absolutely key. The other thing to look for is how urgent is the work? So why is it important now? And when you're doing your upfront consulting with someone, always establish the urgency. So we have this with training courses or coaching, but particularly training courses. If someone comes from a training course because they've been sent by their boss, it's not important to them and it's not really urgent. They'll participate, they'll get something out of it, but it's not the same as people who come on going, look, I've got a promotion coming up or I've got a client meeting. I really need to make sure I, I do well or I really want to get promoted or something. And then it's really important to them. The stakes are high. They've got skin in the game and it's urgent. It's pressing for them now. Those two things need to be in place in order for them to take action and to be really connected to what they're doing. And it's the same with any service, website, coaching, training buying a holiday, it, whatever service you sell, web design, graphic design, marketing, the person has to, for them, it has to be real skin of the game, a great pain or pleasure, the importance, or it's got to be urgent. Yeah. The greater both those factors are, the better your client will be. You'll yeah. give them advice, they'll take it. You'll charge them a fee, they'll pay it. You ask them a question or ask for input, they'll give it to you like that. If someone kind of would like your service, but the, you know it's kind of not a big deal right now, you're going to get a lukewarm response and you may not be doing yourself and the client a service by trying to push for that sale so it could be a relationship or a, like i say consultancy yeah. that's really going to get you over the line and i think as well with that just having the the kind of the conversation with them at the start to find out what they whether they know what they need to know to start yeah. as well because i've had it before where people have said to me um 
oh well yeah this client's being really or this potential client's being really difficult because they just they won't tell me what their budget is but I don't have a set fee because I put together something bespoke for them but I don't know how to put together something bespoke when they won't tell me what their budget is but the client or the prospective client probably doesn't know how much they're supposed to put aside for this sometimes clients will have a very fixed budget and you can then go okay right well this is what I can do for that budget and that's fine but sometimes they don't know so I think there's a lot of work to be done educating clients before you even start working with them about what's involved and about the time commitments they're going to have to put in and the energy commitments they're going to have to put in and why it costs what it does and what you get for that money so for some clients you know a website cost might seem really cheap for some it might seem really expensive so it's like well what do you what do you value and what do you expect to get from that money so if your client isn't won't tell you what their budget is it's probably not that they're trying to be cheeky or anything it's probably just that they don't know what it should be and they have you know maybe they could afford to pay 500 pounds for a short kind of introduction session that would then allow them to make a decision about where to spend the rest of the money or how much to spend. If they could see how much value they could get back from a certain amount of investment, then you can help them to work out what is right for them. So I think helping to educate the client is a really key part of your responsibility as a freelancer. You're the expert and you need to help them to be able to make those decisions easily. Yeah, most people don't buy a website every day. They don't buy training or coaching every day. So they're not very good shoppers. And actually you can help them to make a good decision. So you don't know what you don't know. So sometimes helping them. And of course, if you put your fee out there, they might say no. But if they're not able to pay it or not willing to pay it, they may not be a great person to work with anyway. So put something on the table. Yeah. Yes, it might get knocked back, but it's going to save you a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. You You could always do a starting point if you don't want to commit to your full thing then you can do a starting point so you know there are ways of doing it um and i think yeah it's kind of yeah it's your responsibility to create good clients basically yeah i think the idea of again we came back we started at the beginning with the label of bad clients and i think there's a bit of a reframe there if you like how do i create good clients yes yeah, definitely and the only other thing i'd say from a from a kind of practical perspective is and you touched on this, Michelle, is to actually set out what the expectations are early on, but get it in writing and have a contract because then it gives you something to refer back to. You know, if you've got milestones that you can refer back to, then that allows you to do it and do it both ways. So I, you know, I have something in my contract that says I will deliver this, this and this by this point. However, you will deliver this, this and this by this point. And if you don't do that, it's going to have an impact on the whole time scale of the project. And again, that's something clients don't necessarily think about. In their heads, you're probably only working with them and your energy is solely focused on them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You need to tell them that you've got other projects on and you've allocated this amount of time for their project so that they understand if they don't get that work to you, that information to you in time, it might be another week or two weeks before you can get to it. Not another day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we did uh, doing some uh, workshop with the psychiatrist Gary Weiss, who, who used to work at the, the Priory. Uh, we had a great coach, the, the coach session that he did for us, and he was talking about expectations. And he said, look, when relationships break down, it's not only, normally what someone said or did that's the issue, it's what you said or did in relation to what they expected to happen. Yeah 
Yeah. And he talks about, he did this little flow chart where he said, you've got the expectations at the front. Both people come into a relationship with expectations. If expectations aren't met, met you can either go back, recontract and address it, which be, would be best practice. He says, you can ignore it and bury your head in the sand or gloss over it, but then you keep going down that track. Again, the expectations, you get another bump in the road. He says, you can only do that two or three times before you get a crunch point. And he said either at that point it is either you go back and recontract so both people are happy or people then withdraw from the relationship. So ideally you want those expectations set up front, but at the first sign of that not being met, we might need to go back, as you say, to recontract, to reset expectations. And it's really the expectations that's the issue, not normally not the behaviour. And just because we've written them down doesn't mean that the person's read it. So it's a worse conversation. Yeah, actually going through it with them, yeah, and enforcing things. Well, the idea of what is a reasonable time frame might uh, differ from person to person. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. It's setting, it's kind of setting that, that meeting in the middle point where yeah. you're both happy with what's been agreed yeah and do you know what that might seem overly formal but just on that I'll quickly say that um I think there is a a company I've done some work with called Coffee Clatch. They do contracts for small business owners, uh, for freelancers. There are other ones out there that do it also, but it is worth looking into, I think, to to have it. It might seem overly formal if you're quite a warm, friendly, informal kind of person, but I think people respect it. And again, it's about setting the tone for the relationship. So I've met many people who do small lifestyle businesses that don't have terms or business or any rules because they don't want to slap the rules on people to seem to be overly stuffy. But actually it gives people confidence when yeah. you when you, when you you lay all that down because they think, oh, this, this person's professional. And then they, they sort of kind of perk up a bit and go, oh, I better take this seriously. And I think that's how we can help. One of the ways we can help create good client behaviors. Yeah. And you too. can, you know, you can write you can write contracts in friendly language. You can you can do a summary at the top in friendly language, and then say here's the kind of legal stuff below. There's ways of doing it. So, I think we've gone through quite a lot of of practical and kind of mindset tips today around dealing with bad clients. If you've got any tips, then we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can say hi to me and Katie um, on Twitter at the wheel exists. And you can ask your questions to me too. It's Michelle at Dive Deep Dep, D-I-V-E-D-E-E-P-D-E-V-P. Um, and let us know, is there such a thing as bad clients? Are we being overly harsh on ourselves? <laughs> or is it the client? Let us know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts. This is an endless source of debates, I think. Yeah, definitely. And we'll see you next time for an episode of 99 Problems, Better Boss Ain't One.